I'm Christina. And I'm Megan. And, and this, this is, is the, the Aftermath of Sex. Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome to part two. Yeah, we told you it wouldn't be too long. See, not Just too a long. Days. A few days. It's fine. Yep. Or maybe it's not, and you can let us know if you're disgruntled. Okay. Um, But I think, realistically, you're not going to be disgruntled. Yeah. I might be. Okay. Why? Because I want to know. Oh, I want to know yeah. the things. I know. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find the, out the things today. Okay, but not before y'all drop us your birth adventures, uh, your veggie tales, your breastimonials, titty tribulations, yeah. and any other awesome first stuff. the firsties. Yeah, I want to know about your first menses. Yeah, your we first. Want to hear about those? Yeah, all the first experiences. Yeah, it can be anything. Oh yeah, that sounds like a good time. Yeah. Anyway, and if you do it before March 8, 18th, 18th, yeah, then you can be entered for a drawing, a drawing for some merch. I was just thinking, and this is why I was pausing, mm-hmm. um, that we should have it be the onesies stories, like the firsties, but the onesies. Okay. Maybe it's getting late. Okay. We can talk <laughs> later because I'm not forgetting what you're throwing right now. So. You know, like a onesie because it's the the first time, oh, I and then like there's onesies for babies. Yeah, but it's like your first time. Okay, yeah, forget no, it. I it's totally not good. It. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. It's great. Onesies is not it. It's but if you have an idea for the first times, throw it at us. Yeah, there might be something special in it for you Ooh. if you do. Okay. So if you can come up with a name for our first times, yeah, throw it on our. Our media, yeah, uh, social, yeah, so Instagram, yeah. I don't think we've told people recently what those are. <laughs> so, Instagram, you can find us at the AOS 411 or on Facebook, it's the aftermath of sex. Yeah. Super easy, yeah, we're findable. Yeah, and um, you can yeah. submit your stories at the AOS 411.com. Yeah. Um, and so I will throw, you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and throw out a, what should we name the first timers okay. and see what y'all think. Yeah. Okay. And if we pick you, you might just be a winner. Yeah. That sounds fun. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> let's talk about preeclampsia. Part two. Okay. Part two. All right. So we, I'm just going to get right into it. So there, we're going to start with, um, Sometimes Christina makes these faces <laughs> and then I I don't know what she's thinking. And I feel like sometimes she has something to say or she's thinking about something and she just made a face. And so I did for the opportunity. I well, this is funny because I okay. thought maybe we need to pause because I thought I heard my daughter creeping up the stairs. Oh, is that what it was? I did. I don't think it was. But she's not. Yeah. Okay. But I just okay. I I love the fact that we have bloopers for yeah. um the future for how many times our children yes interrupt us <laughs> yes. while we're recording yes it happens quite regularly all right oh also can i t- share a story yeah so i got stuck in the snow oh you did when yesterday oh and how where well in the parking lot at work how in your parking lot at work I am not kidding you. And I was so stuck. You had a really large vehicle. Too. I <laughs> so I was driving three miles an hour. Maybe, I mean, I had literally just backed out and I hadn't even started going yet. I mean, I was going a little bit, maybe two cars length. I'm not kidding you. And somehow my car got into that little powder a little bit, mm-hmm. but then slid sideways about three feet into oh, the ditch. Wow. How'd you get out? Well, a series of events occurred. Okay. So the first thing was one of the nice physicians from upstairs mm-hmm. came down as I and sweet um, Dr. Heilman and Tanya were shoveling my car out of the ditch. And he's like, stop shoveling. That's it. I'm going to get you out. And he put these fancy little um, straps on my tires. Okay. That didn't work. 
Okay. There was like these little, um, so you put these straps around each yeah. tire and it makes them go yeah. and try to get traction. Yeah. Didn't work. So then he hooked me up to his truck. Okay. Didn't, I Didn't mean, his, his truck was sliding okay. and I was like, it's okay. You know what? My, my husband's going to come Okay. and he's going to get me out of here Okay. because he has a big truck, like a 2,500. It okay. can tow. It's got a tow package. Sure. Right. Yeah. And my car isn't small. So it's heavy, it is. you know, it's a big car. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he comes and he's wearing my, the aftermath of sex hoodie. He is. Yes. Did he do that on purpose? He so did. Oh my God. And he was like, listen, Tanya, who's my work wife, uh, until she gets home, she's your problem. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I'm like, what are you, you're wearing my shirt, honey. He's like, this is the actual aftermath oh. of sex. <laughs> I was like, you are being so funny right now. That's so Poor great. guy. And it took probably a good 30 minutes after he got there to get me out. Can I, yeah. Go ahead. And then I have some advice. So, um, so finally, we shoveled behind the tires, and he his truck was even sliding some because it's just yeah. so icy. Yeah. And then Ben, my son, he's pushing on the front of the car right. as um, Brandon's pulling. Yeah. And um, we get out finally, and Ben's like, "Of course, it's my muscles." Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, your advice. Well, I was gonna say. Tell me how better it is. Yeah. Well, I pay for this thing called roadside assistance. Sure. I, I do too. Well, then why did yeah. you use it? One would ask. It was quite embarrassing that I was stuck in the driveway at work. Is that why you didn't and, call? Mm -hmm. Okay, Christina. Well, and then my husband was coming to rescue me, and he likes to be a rescuer. Yeah, but he probably would have liked to just stay home in the nice warm house uh, instead of. I called stuff. him, and I asked him if I should call roadside. He's like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. Oh, I see. Because he, he does like he to does be my like hero. Okay. Um, he probably, after getting there and realizing how stuck I was, he yeah. probably would have done that. Yeah. But then it was like a, a, a I'm going to get her out yeah. type of deal. And then I asked him how his pullout game was. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. He yeah. said 100%. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, anyway. That's so, really funny. Yeah. yeah. I've called multiple times yeah. to get out of ditches. Do you want to know what's really embarrassing? What? Is that people had to like go through the sidewalk to leave work because it's like at the end of the day. And you were blocking the way out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. Not not like the um the staff parking, but all of the doctor parking. Like all of the provider parking was oh. blocked from the back of the building. So oh. I wasn't just blocking the people who love me and know me. Right. I was blocking all of the providers in the, in the building. building. Yeah. And it was really sweet for this doctor yeah. from upstairs to come down and try to help it me out. It was really sweet for little Dr. Dr. Howman. I was doctor. like, please give me the shovel. <laughs> Dr. Howman, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But she was so sweet. And then she's like, you know, I'm glad it was you because I would have called Brandon too. Because she oh. likes to call my hubby for all of her yeah. needs, okay. which is great. And he loves so that too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Fun story. Yeah, I like that. Embarrassing. Aftermath of sex sweatshirt. I thought yeah. that was hilarious. No, that is hilarious that he showed up in that. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, Shall pretty fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Part, two. Part two. I'm sorry. I will try to not be so disruptive it's this okay. week. You're not disruptive. I kind of interrupt a lot. It's okay. I you have know a... about this stuff. Like, well, you, you have more hands-on you know, well, I think that that's true in some things, right? But I think sometimes my commentary is not helpful or particular to the comments um, or the topic. Well, I just talked about being stuck in the snow. Well, okay, <laughs> we didn't even start that. I didn't even get started yet. So, you know okay, your story in before. All right, fine. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's let's get onto it now. Okay, okay, <laughs> so, on it. There are. Um, multiple hypertensive disorders that occur in pregnancy. So we're going to talk about them. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about the good old preeclampsia. First. Love it. But um, preeclampsia with severe features. So this was formerly severe preeclampsia, but now it's <laughs> preeclampsia with severe features. But it's funny because I noticed the change in the um, verbiage at work, you know, mm -hmm. when this kind of happened. 
Um, because there's different management. Yeah. So exactly. there's preeclampsia without severe features yeah. and preeclampsia with severe yeah. features. And, and they're going to do is different. The recommendations are different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if there are severe features, um, you have to have severe hypertension and then these specific signs or symptoms of the significant organ dysfunction. And so we had kind of talked about that. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily have all of them, just one feature. Yeah. You know, plus high blood pressure. Plus high blood pressure. Always high blood pressure and preeclampsia. Always. Specifically. Specifically. Always. Yeah. Um, so these persistent or severe headaches that we talked about in the last episode, yep. these are headaches that just don't go away with, you know, the, all the things you would do to try to get rid of a headache. It's persistent. Tylenol, yeah. rest, yeah. caffeine, Water, hydration, all of those things. dark room. Yeah. And then um, those visual abnormalities, seeing spots, like mm-hmm. blindness, little blind spots, stuff like that. Um, this upper abdominal or epigastric, right? quadrant pain. So that would be like uh, liver pain. Yep. Um, altered mental status. So confusion or agitation. That's just mm-hmm. like abnormal. And one of the things that's not talked about a lot is, um, but it happens is sometimes women can't put their finger on what's yeah. off or yeah. what's wrong or what's different, yeah. but they just are like, I don't feel right, right or I don't feel good. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, okay, okay. let's like look at all the things. Yeah. 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 Um, and then new dyspnea or difficulty breathing or difficulty breathing uh when you're laying down mm-hmm. that is then relieved when you're sitting up. Yep. Um so that's pretty those are the fe- severe features. Frequency with severe features. Yeah. Okay. And then there is preeclampsia superimposed upon chronic hypertension. So this is um, where when hypertension is diagnosed before pregnancy and it's present on at least two occasions before the 20th week. Okay. Gestation. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or persists longer than 20 weeks postpartum. Mm-hmm. So then that would be, then you would have chronic hypertension for your subsequent pregnancy would be go into right. it with chronic hypertension. Or sometimes people are found to have chronic hypertension oh. in pregnancy, but they didn't realize they had the hypertension because they've never been in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, um, this is characterized by worsening hypertension or hypertension that's not responding to treatment. Um, and that, yeah, to get the preeclampsia superimposed onto the chronic. So this will be that worsening hypertension or it's not responding to treatment, new onset of proteinuria, yep. proteinuria urine, um, and then new signs or symptoms of that end organ dysfunction yep. after 20 weeks of gestation or postpartum in a patient with chronic hypertension. Yeah. And it's interesting how they mm. divide um, hypertension into layers. Like, yeah. so there's mild, which is 140 over 90 and there's moderate, which is 150 over 90, I think, or a hundred and then severe hypertension, which is 160 over 110. 10, yeah. 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 Very good. Thank you for laying those out for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're really watching these blood pressures and kind of what they're doing and then looking at the other things. That are the overall on. picture. Yeah. yeah. So, Protein in the urine can be evaluated a couple different ways. Okay. There's two different ways. So, you know, we can dip it for just kind of like a little snapshot um, of protein. It just gives us like, maybe there's something in there right this second. And just a quick dip. So a lot of times when you go into the doctor's office, they're going to get your urine. And we're like, why are they taking my urine every time? We check for protein and we check for sugar in your um, urine. And that's just a quick dip. It's going to give us trace plus one, plus yeah. two, or plus three, depending on that. Um, and it can be accurate or not accurate yeah. because it's a dip. Yeah. And yeah. so then, but it would just let us know if we need to do Look further. Testing. Yeah. yeah. Like to do a 24 hour urine. So a 24 hour urine, well, you'll collect your urine over 24 hours. So it's called 24 hour urine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll give you these big giant jugs. So you got to in one of our pee. birth adventures, she's like, it's like this burnt orange yellow yes, tub. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I always get two jugs, you know, just because mm-hmm. sometimes you, if you're drinking enough, you're probably peeing a lot. Yeah. And then um, you collect it and you got to keep it on ice or in the refrigerator. And then you take it back and we can kind of look at how much protein you're spilling over 24 hours mm-hmm. versus just like what's in this particular urine. Because yep. you can you have can have different amounts depending on the time of day or, yeah, um, you know, how much you're hydrated, stuff like that. 
And then there is this <laughs> this protein creatinine ratio mm-hmm. or PCR. So this I, I am I want to talk about this PCR because I I don't I'm not a believer in the PCR. However, the research says that it is at, I was looking and I looked at this when it first came out because I was what happens is that you get this. <laughs> I love this because you all, you're about to hear nurse perspective <laughs> yes. versus provider yes, perspective. I'm so excited yeah, for this too. conversation. So we'll have somebody who'll come in and we'll collect a PCR. Now, the benefit of the PCR is you can get it right now. It so takes about right an time hour result. and a half to, yeah. Yeah, to, right now. To get versus yeah. the 24 hours that you have to yeah. collect it. And so you have like information mm-hmm. now, right? Right. So, um, what happens though is you'll get this maybe elevated PCR. You know, mm-hmm. we have a threshold depending on how elevated mm-hmm. it is, depending on the provider. All different kinds of things can happen. But I have seen where we j- we go to induce somebody, okay? Mm-hmm. And they've got this hypertension. We're not going to do it unless they have this hypertension. But if they have this elevated PCR, okay, so now we're doing stuff, we're doing mm-hmm. interventions. And then we repeat this PCR. I've seen this happen. Mm-hmm. And then it is not in that range anymore mm-hmm. but we have already started yeah this intervention so then i say how reliable is this pcr mm-hmm. the the research behind it says that it is a, is mm-hmm. as reliable as the 24-hour urine yeah even though i am a skeptic and the recommendations are that if it is a 24-hour urine or a pcr right. that then you can qualify right. it in addition to hypertension as preeclampsia, yeah, which is interesting because I wasn't so sure about it when it first came out either. Um, And so I was doing a lot more, I would do a PCR and then if that was elevated, then I would follow it with a 24 hour urine. Which I think a lot of people do. We we do do that. And I feel like most of the time it's right on and sometimes it's not. And it's when it's right on the line. So 0.3 would be considered abnormal in a PCR and 300 of protein in a urine over 24 hours is considered abnormal or proteinuria um, that could cause or be a diagnosis of preeclampsia, right? right. Um, so I think when it comes to a PCR and a 24-hour urine, if I have time, and time meaning my blood pressures are normal, right. and I and don't have anybody, yeah, there's yeah. no other symptoms, so this would be preeclampsia, perhaps without, without severe, severe features, features, then I might do the 24 hour urine after an elevated PCR to confirm my diagnosis. Yeah. Now, if I have somebody who has features right. or severe blood pressures, I'm going to take that PCR value because yeah. it's much more important for me to have a healthy mom and a baby yeah. at 38 weeks versus somebody who's eclamptically seizing at 39 weeks. Cause I didn't catch it at 38 weeks when I should have. Right. Yeah. So I agree. And days can matter. Clinical, you know, looking at the right. clinical picture, so it's a big picture. Yeah, looking at stuff. So one of the things with COVID that I've noticed, and this is completely anecdotal mm-hmm. clinic observation, no research behind what I've seen, but I've seen a lot of just standalone proteinuria ah. that's occurred in women who have had COVID. Interesting. And it's like, okay, Without there's well, there's no hypertension, oh. so this is just weird proteinuria that I have to follow because yeah. this means that there's something going on in your kidneys and it's right. not functioning properly, right. but I, d- it, I can't call it preeclampsia. Right. It's weird, that is right? Weird. It's just completely bizarre. Anyway. Bizarre. So, um, you know, so a CBC, a complete blood count will give you a right now information, mm-hmm. but it's only good as right now. Right. Like if you do a CBC tomorrow, and you've had a small injury or something has changed and you got ill, your CBC tomorrow is not going to be the same as it is today. Right. So that could be said for all, all lab work. Lab. Yep. So sorry. Right. No, I mean, it doesn't matter how I feel about it anyway, <laughs> because the research says it is yeah. as reliable as a 24 yeah. hour urine. And so I take right. a lot of, you know, stock in that. Yeah. And I think, um, Really, when you're talking about patient care and ensuring safety, you look at the big picture and that number alone isn't going to determine birth versus not birth, but it could start a process that maybe didn't have to happen if the other things didn't necessarily fall in place and maybe we're looking for things and they're not there. 
perhaps. Which Maybe can happen. That's what was happening. You know, and sometimes what can happen is you have a previous experience that just happened yes. last week and now you're hyper vigilant yeah, because that, that just happened and I don't want that to happen again or you know what I mean? So our personal experiences also play a role in how we interpret yeah, data. Yeah. And that can be said for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Good PCR talk. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about health. Okay. Oh gosh. So Do we have to? Yeah, we are. We're gonna <laughs> talk about it. And I will just tell you it's that scary. it is it's terrifying to me. Yeah. Like health is probably the scariest thing. Mm -hmm. One of the scariest things that like I feel like can happen to your patient. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's lots of other things. I just feel like we don't see it a whole ton of nope. a lot. And so it's not something that we like are always just like ready for, even though we are looking for it. Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't happen very often. And when we talk, we'll talk a little bit about DIC and I'm going to ask you what you would do if your patient is just looking at you and starts bleeding out of their eyes, right? Or something like that. That's really scary. Yeah. And I don't know what I would do. Well, I know what I, I would do. Okay. You do know what you would do. I do know what I would it's do, scary but, it's, to, but it's so scary. It's scary to, to think, think about. about. And you're like, okay, this is happening. Yeah. But then you have to process it. Yeah. And then do your next step. Yep. Mm -hmm. Assess, report. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rapid response, perhaps. Anyway, no. Okay, so health is, um, it's considered kind of preeclampsia, but its own kind of thing. And it um, stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. So that's how it's help. categorized, and that's health. Health, so I need somebody. Yeah. Help. <laughs> I'm just making it fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's very good because it's not fun. It's so dismal. It's scary. So I'm just. Yeah, it is. And yeah, anyway, so it appears to be a subtype of preeclampsia, but with severe features, like this very is severe. severe. This is like you're, you're, you might end up in the ICU. Your you know? body is not it's functioning. It's trying to die. It, no. <laughs> it is. <laughs> She's, she just went real dramatic. Well, I mean, that's just what well, I fear from this. Yeah. So I mean, it absolutely, especially if it's not us, recognized. Yeah, especially if it's not recognized. Yeah. And, but it is, as you were saying, like, this is something that we are always assessing. Yeah, or, you know, so don't and, don't let my fear scare the audience. Right, have help. right, and it's an hour, and it's an hourly assessment. Yeah, if not more frequent. Yeah, when somebody is sick like that, yeah, exactly. and so you're going to notice those minute changes yeah. that are occurring because you're doing very frequent assessments. Yeah, so and you're likely going to have your very own nurse and everything. And what's really cool yeah. is that our technology and our knowledge and our ability to birth these babies yeah. earlier yeah. than their due date, yes. it, it prevents severe disease. So right. that's part of why pre um, prenatal care is very important. Yes, it mm -hmm. is. Cause these, right. Those things, are these identified. are the little things, things that we're checking that are, right. and we can identify them before they yeah. become a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, hypertension, um, central nervous system dysfunction and kidney dysfunction may be present. Most people with health, will have hypertension, but it's not a requirement like in the preeclampsia mm -hmm. itself. <clears throat> 82 to 88% will have hypertension. So mm -hmm. then that leaves, you know, 10 yep. 15 or so percent that do not have hypertension. So um, anyway, 86, depending on the source you look at, but between 86 and 100% will have protein in their urine. Though. Mm -hmm. um, among women, pregnant women in the United States, five to 8% develop preeclampsia and then 15% of those will develop health. So it's really rare. Really rare. Yeah. It's, very rare. It's pretty rare. I mean, it, we don't see it a whole lot. No. So thank yeah. goodness. Um, approximately 45,000 women per year will develop health syndrome in the U S and if you think about how many women birth in the exactly. U S a year, it's really it's not really a lot, but 45,000 is not a little number, right? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And really it's like 90, thousand people that are or more because actually multiple gestation is an increased risk. So we'll talk about that too. Yeah. I'm just thinking about mom and babies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early diagnosis is really critical because um, serious illness and even death occur in 25% of the cases will result in serious illness. And to me that says they're in the ICU or they've had to have some kind of surgical intervention or something like that, right? They're not in our unit anymore um, mm -hmm. or they die. Yeah. Like 25%. Mm-hmm. That's like a big percentage of those 45,000. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's just a really big number. It's scary. Yeah. So symptoms are very similar to preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That epigastric um, yep. pain, 
um, from the liver distension, nausea, vomiting, um, indigestion with pain after eating, headaches that won't go away. We talked about that. Shoulder pain or pain when breathing deeply, um, bleeding. Um, changes in vision, including blurred vision, seeing double or flashing lights, different visual disturbances, and then swelling, abnormal mm. swelling. And so mm. this, this particular help can lead because you have low platelets, mm -hmm. then you can lead to DIC. DIC or disseminated intercoagulation or something like that. Anyway, I'm pretty sure. If, you know what? I, it's that, a very, it yeah, it's very long. Yeah. Disseminated intravascular, intravascular coagulation. coagulation. Yeah. I always forget the vascular. DIC. Anyway, yeah, basically your body has used up all of its clotting factors and now it doesn't have anything to clot with. And so people with DIC are set. I thankfully never experienced it myself mm -hmm. with a patient, but they'll bleed from just places, all their orifices. They'll Eyes, their really ears, easy. their mouth, yeah. their, it's, Nose. it's like, coming from their IV site. Yeah. Um, it's I, just like oozing out of them. Mm -hmm. I have seen true DIC, true yeah. DIC once, one time, once yeah. in my twenty years, yeah. and um, it was a sixteen-year-old girl oh, and um, a stillbirth. Oh, right. and she had like a second-degree laceration. Oh, and and it just bled. It was so much. I remember, and so I was a young nurse. Yeah, and. I remember the floor was covered in chucks and every chucks had five laps on it. So we could keep count of how many laps we had been using wow. and we were hanging platelets and just pouring them in wow. because she was losing as much as we were right. giving her. And I think we had gone through um, six units of red blood cells. We were going through all of the platelets. We were going through plasma and like wow. cry, cryo, yeah. <clears throat> like all the stuff. We, we were, I mean, we were just going through everything. And finally they were, they were trying to repair this. Um, and finally they, they did a stitch and it, well, it, so what they were doing was they were trying to repair this and they would throw a stitch and it would just bleed from there and from it would create stitch. a new problem. Oh so they just stopped and they packed her vagina mm -hmm. And just prayed. I mean, literally, like they packed it and were like, this is what we can hope for. And we just wow. kept replacing. She lived. Wow. It did stop. They were able to take the packing out the next day. Wow. But it was the That's, craziest that thing. That's probably been one of the scariest. It's really it was, scary. Yeah. Very, very scary. Yeah. And I just, those, all of those um, lap sponges mm -hmm. that hold a fair, a amount, of fair blood, amount of yeah. blood, like 100, 150, yeah. depending on how saturated. It was full, and there was like probably eight or 10 wow. chucks of five laps. Wow. It was insane. This yeah. girl bleeding. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad, anyway. Yeah, I'm glad she left. It was such a sad, too. you know, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she had such good support oh, good. and such love around her. Okay, and, you know, she made it. Yeah. Which is not always the case no, with DIC. Yeah. Yeah. No, because that's really, it's really scary. And DIC can be caused by lots of different things. Yeah. Not just help. I mean, it's right. Like, exactly. It can happen if you're not pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. In all different kinds of things. Anything yeah. that's going to use up those clogging factors. Anyway. Sorry. Scary. I thought it was an appropriate story. No, I thought that was a great story. Yeah. Because I never, I was going to ask you if you'd ever seen it. Yeah. I'd never seen it before. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Please knock on wood. Yeah. yeah Here's some it, real. it is one of those things that I yeah. just, it really terrifies me just thinking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just some diagnostic lab values for help. So you'll have, um, in addition to elevated blood pressure and protein in the urine, um, looking at like liver enzymes and we look at for preeclampsia too. So different liver enzymes, um, LDH. So this is, um, like a cholesterol that's involved in energy production and mm -hmm. cell development and stuff like that. And so that can be released into your bloodstream when cells are damaged or destroyed liver cells. Um, and anyway, it'll increase your levels. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I for a second. Um, and then platelets, we talked about that. So um, any thermocytopenia is characterized by less than a hundred thousand platelets. Um, but I feel like for DIC, it's got a, the thresholds much lower. Oh yeah. I'm not sure what the threshold is for that. Um, I remember another lady who was in DIC who was 
very much not as sick as the young yeah. lady. Um, and hers were nine thousand. Thousand. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've seen pretty low platelets mm -hmm. without like incidents. Yeah. Nine, nine thousand. She was, and and then they would go to twelve thousand. She was oh, bleeding. Oh, she was. She was, but mm -hmm. she she spent I think one night in the unit, okay. like in intensive care, and then yeah. came back. And everybody was like, "Wow!" Ah! But it was yeah, just a moment. Seriously. Okay. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, Megan's got to take a drink <laughs> of, water. of water. We're drinking water. Water today, anyway." <laughs> <laughs> Shh! Don't give our okay, secrets. Sorry. But it is um, water today. Yeah. <laughs> crystal white yeah wild strawberry it's with good. caffeine it tastes good yeah okay so is help preventable no i was like uh <laughs> I, I she's like wait she's gonna tell me something i don't know uh what is the cure delivery I mean, yes and that is the birth. cure for preeclampsia all of them it's it, delivery you have birth. to get rid of that placenta yeah get rid of it get rid of it um, and can you treat it? You can mm -hmm. with supportive care. So all of those things that you were just talking mm -hmm. about, um, uh, all of the blood products, if you need them, mm -hmm. um, and just monitoring and then magnesium, we'll talk about it yeah. too. Cause that's yeah. really going to be the primary treatment. Um, oh, and then also if you're talking about a premature baby, then you're going to want to give like beta methasone or steroids to yeah. mature lungs. And, um, you're already going to be giving mag, so I think you probably have the neuroprotection. Yeah. So, um, what Megan's talking about is when we have somebody who might be in preterm labor, um, sometimes we give magnesium sulfate to protect the development of the baby's brain. Um, so we call it neuroprotection. But when you have preeclampsia, we give magnesium sulfate to prevent seizures, yeah. which is very interesting. It is. We'll anyway, yeah. Um. So it can cause premature birth, fetal or neonatal death, and maternal death, like we talked about. Yeah. Um, women with a history of health are at increased risk of all forms of preeclampsia in subsequent pregnancies. And the rate of preeclampsia in subsequent pregnancies after help ranges from 16 to 52%, which is such a wide range. It is. <laughs> 16 to 52? 16 to 52. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the rates are higher if the onset of health was in the second trimester or if the patient had chronic hypertension. Mm. So that would be on the higher end. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. Okay. That's help. Anything help. to add? No. I know. Can we not need help? Yes. Let's not need help. <laughs> Let's not Let's need have help. help. Yeah. All right. So then there's gestational hypertension, which mm -hmm. is not preeclampsia, but if you have gestational hypertension, you're more at risk for developing preeclampsia. So this is hypertension without protein in the urine um, or any other signs of um, preeclampsia like we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, up to 50% of these patients will ultimately develop it or may yeah. develop it. Um, the addition of the protein basically makes it diagnostic for preeclampsia. So because you have your high blood pressure and then you have protein yep. in your urine and that's really all you need. Yeah. So, um, true gestational hypertension we talked about should resolve by 12 weeks postpartum. And then after that, if it's persistent, then you have chronic hypertension that needs to be dealt with. Yep. Um, so preeclampsia, um, will lead to eclampsia, which is these tonic clonic seizures or coma with the patient with preeclampsia. It's directly related to that. And it is the seizures. It's the actual seizure that's happening. Um, yeah. So risk factor. Uh, that's really all I have to say about eclampsia because it's just that's it's it. It's a seizure. It's just a seizure <laughs> from the hypertension. From the hypertension or the yeah. preeclampsia. The, preeclampsia, the whole body system yeah. shut down. That's yeah. happening. Yep. Um, okay, so some risk factors. There are quite a few risk factors. You cannot prevent preeclampsia. There's like right nothing <laughs> really that you can do. There's you can be the healthiest person yeah, and get it. in this yeah on this earth and get it yes um and that's one of the hardest things for people right. to understand they're like i'm healthy i'm trying the best but moms always try to look inward like what yeah. did i do what could i do different but with this there, there's yeah. no prevention yeah yeah so there may be a well there's well, a couple there could be i a couple say things. that like you can't like there if you're going to get it you're going to get it yeah but there are some things that could support your body not yes, exactly. having it. How about that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, perfect. We're going to talk about that. 
Okay, so a past history of preeclampsia, you have eight times the risk of developing it um, in a subsequent pregnancy compared with patients without a history. The severity um, of the preeclampsia kind of impacts that risk. Right. So the more severe, the more at risk you are. Um, uh, feature, severe features that develop in the second trimester, they're at greater risk for developing them in sub subsequent pregnancies. And the second trimester ends at? 28 weeks. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. And it, yeah. <laughs> it starts at 14 weeks and it ends at 28 weeks. Yeah. So, so really it's pretty early. early. And remember, I was telling you if it's early, um, in the previous episode, um, if we're finding it that early, it's generally very severe. Yeah. You know, right. it's happened. And you're going yeah. to have a premature baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then reoccurrence rates um, for this would be 25 to 65%, kind of depending on the pre, uh, like we were talking about the severity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, and I didn't know this, but um, pre gestational diabetes, um, there, it, this increase related is related to a variety of other factors, such as underlying kidney or vascular disease, uh -huh. obesity, high blood insulin levels and insulin resistance, and abnormal lipid metabolism. So this is somebody with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Type 1 or type 2, not gestational. Correct. Not gestational. Yeah. And then um, chronic hypertension, we already kind of talked about that. So this, there's a pretty significant increased risk mm -hmm. um, of developing it five times, um, actually, compared to patients without and um and i just want to tell you okay so when when we say stuff like five times it sounds so scary but you have to look at absolute number right when you're talking about this so i i want to yeah i want to make it clear it's, it's for five it's only five percent five to ten percent of preeclamptic cases are have resulted from chronic hypertension right so let me just put that into words so if one in a hundred people develop preeclampsia, um, that's your normal risk. Then chronic hypertension is five, five in a hundred. Yeah. Of five to ten in a hundred, which is still very, very low if you think about it. Right. So when you're looking at absolute risk and you look at those numbers and you lay them out, you know, five times five to ten times higher sounds drastic and it is but in the big scheme of things right. your absolute risk is still very low because remember preeclampsia is a small subset of people right. eclampsia is even smaller right. help is even smaller than that and dic even smaller than that so just remember with these 10 times you know yeah. that your absolute values are still low. very low yeah You're sorry no, i just thank you that was good to explain yeah okay um i don't know why i say sorry every time i don't know why you say sorry either I have to tell you to not say sorry. I know. I need to knock it off. Just stop saying sorry. Okay, fine. Because I don't say sorry. <laughs> when so you shouldn't have I, to. I think it's just. Can I say sorry now? No, please don't. And I think it's just like a, a filler word for me. I think so too. And I do say sorry. <laughs> but I mean it. Like I, I mean it when I'm saying <laughs> it. But you know what I mean. No, I do. I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some other risk factors. So some autoimmune disorders such as lupus. Mm -hmm. Um and antiphospholipid syndrome, these can increase the risk. It's not completely understood, um, but it could be related to multiple mechanisms involving inflammation, um, microangiopathy, um, or vessel disease, um, increased platelet turnover and kidney dysfunction. So mm -hmm. they're more at risk, but we don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, Pre-pregnancy obesity or overweight. So if a body mass index of greater than 25%, or not 20 I was going to say, that's the majority of the population. Yeah, well, it said, so... A BMI of is, 25? There is an increased risk over 25, a BMI of over 25. Okay. And then there's an even bigger risk, um, increased risk of a BMI over 30. Okay. Um, Do you want to know what's so funny? Um, I'm interrupting again. Yeah. But when COVID started and the, um, the uh, antibodies, the infusion uh -huh. came out, um, one of the risk factors that would qualify you for those antibodies is having a BMI of greater than 25. And the laughing joke was like, oh, everybody qualifies for that. Well, yeah. <laughs> because like 60% of our population or something. Probably like more, I would think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was just something that was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the risk appears to double with each five to seven 
kilograms increase. Wow. In pre-pregnancy body mass. Five to seven. So that's like a 10 to, that's like 12 to 16 pounds-ish, 17 pounds. Yeah. So that's kind of significant. Yeah. Especially if you're eating truffles and biscuits and gravy every day. (laughs) (laughs) Megan and her 60 pounds. Um, another risk factor is chronic kidney disease. So the risk varies depending on the degree, um, of the reduction of that glomular filtration within the kidneys. Yep. Um, and the presence or absence of hypertension. So it just depends. Um, some studies show as many as 40 to 60% of patients with advanced chronic kidney disease, which is stages three, four, or five were diagnosed with preeclampsia. So that's actually pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so multiple gestation pregnancy, um, there were some big studies that were done, but preeclampsia occurred in 5% of singleton pregnancies and then 8 to 13% of twin pregnancies mm-hmm. and 11% of triplets. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. 11%. Yeah. So there's more placenta mass. Oh, I didn't think about that. You know, and sometimes there's two placentas, depending if it's a die die, yeah, um, or three in triplets. Um, but so that would make sense, Mm -hmm. interesting, Interesting. yeah, it really is. Um, and then nulliparity. So, this is your first time being pregnant, and it's really unclear, um, as to why, but the primary theory is that the immune system of women who have not been pregnant before has had limited exposure to paternal antigens and the lack of desensitization may play a role, which is interesting. Wow. So that's weird. The theory also may make a new partner a risk factor. Yeah. So I know, I mean, that's kind of thrown around sometimes. I've heard that before. Uh Uh-huh. A new partner. But some will argue that the likely increased time between the partners, you know, when you're thinking about switching partners, um, and it's not necessarily the different partner itself. It's just like there's been a long time since you've had a partner and then mm-hmm. just going back to this kind of, you're not desensitized. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting. That is an interesting. But there wasn't anything definitive yeah. as to why, but there's a much greater increased risk when it's yeah. your first time. Um, also, a family history of preeclampsia. So your first degree relative. If you have a first degree relative who has had it, then you have an increased risk. Um, Also a patient who was uh, born preterm or had low birth weight or Mm. was small for gestational age also appear to have an increased risk. That's interesting. I know. Um, Yeah. And then um, prior pregnancy complications associated with placental insufficiency, such as fetal growth restriction a placental abruption, so the placenta mm. tearing away from the uterus, and a fetal demise uh, can be different manifestations of placental insufficiency, and so they're risk factors. And also, um, preeclampsia is a risk factor for developing these disorders. So they kind of go back and forth. Right. So like these can perhaps cause, cause it, and they can the preeclampsia can also cause these. Yeah, so interesting. I thought that was that really is very interesting. interesting. Yeah. It makes sense when you think about it. It does. But it's interesting to like say it. Yeah, to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, also advanced maternal age. So this is anyone who gets pregnant over when they become pregnant over age 35. Um, but they're thinking that maybe it's like just the additional risk factors for someone who is more advanced age, such as the likelihood of obesity, sure. having diabetes and chronic hypertension yeah. just because of age and lifestyle. Not mm-hmm. necessarily that it is the age yeah. that makes them at risk, but mm-hmm. just the, those other things yeah. that come with age. Um, so whether adolescents are at a higher risk of preeclampsia, it's a little bit more clear. There was a systematic review that estimated that adolescent pregnancy has had a 6.7% prevalence, and another did not find an association between adolescents and risk for preeclampsia. So the results are inconclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, this was interesting to me, the use of assisted reproductive technology. So there's going to be a lot of words here. Okay. Okay. So there was one study that reported the risk for hypertensive disorders um, was increased with both um, autologous. Okay. Did I say that right? Autologous or donor. Okay. So either um, an oocyte or a frozen embryo um, from yourself or a donor. Uh Okay, so it was increased 
um, with that transfer and a fresh donor oocyte embryo transfer, but not with an autologous oocyte fresh embryo transfer. There was a lot so, of words there. So if it's frozen on, yes. Versus non-frozen. Yeah. And that the possible yeah. association. Yeah. Interesting. I know, because then huh. I was trying to wrap my brain around that yeah. and what would make it, but it may have something to do with how it's fertilized or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, really interesting. Okay. This was so interesting. To oh me, man, you should see her back. face. I know, because I was like, really? She's so excited. Okay, you probably you I, you probably already know this, but Darn I was it. shocked. Okay, let me hear. I was, okay, so patients who smoke cigarettes have a lower risk. Yes, yes, it's so true. It's the one time what? in medicine what? that smoking can decrease your risk. It's amazing. It is amazing. However, let's just say <laughs> that there you are at risk for so many other things. So let's just remind ourselves that we're not going to start smoking cigarettes to prevent preeclampsia no. because then you can cause a lot of other issues. Well, so. Smoking can cause IUGR, remember? And that's right. a precursor that's to preeclampsia. Yeah. So don't do it. Yeah, well, but in that pregnancy. I don't, oh, right. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, 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 yes. And it's it in multiple studies. Because we're talking about something <clears throat> that is going to decrease perfusion, just in general. I know, but I don't know. I don't know why, but it just is. It's found in multiple studies. And it's always fascinated me. Like, it's always made me go, yeah. What? what? Okay. I know. Well, that's how I I had to like read that multiple times because I'm like, this cannot be true. <laughs> this is the lie. It's a lie. But it's not. But it's it's not. in multiple, yeah. numerous, numerous yeah. studies. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So those are risk factors. Okay. Did I miss any? Uh, I don't not think so. Not that I can think of. Not that I can think of. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about treatments. Yeah. So there are some treatments. Um, Did you say advanced maternal age? Yes, we talked. Okay, about that. sorry. Yeah, um, I am paying attention. I know you are. Okay, we're, we're conversating. It's okay. I said it um, again. <laughs> wow, we'll get there one day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm a work All in right, progress. Right. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so you want to treat the high blood pressure if yeah. it's too high, right? And so there's different thresholds that is acceptable. You know, I I feel like. In obstetrics, we can tolerate a little bit higher blood pressure, you know, than maybe going somewhere else to somebody who's not pregnant. Um, it was funny because you come out of nursing school, right? And you're like, this is what blood pressure should look like. And then you go and be an obstetric nurse and you're just comfortable mm. with higher blood pressures that you're mm. not necessarily comfortable with. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Yeah. Um so, but the, it can be treated with, uh, by mouth medication. So you can use nifedipine, which we can, which is also a tocolytic we use for pre preterm labor. Um, but it also can reduce blood pressure. Labetalol is often used. You can also use hydralazine. Um, we have a hypertensive, ACOG has put out a hypertensive crisis um, recommendations. And so if we have a blood pressure that is over 160 I think it's over 160 well, over 110, 110. Mm -hmm. then we need to do something. Yep. So um, within 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Or it's like a nap. Like you're supposed to repeat the blood pressure in 10 or 15 minutes. And then if it's still elevated um, in severe, you need yeah, to do something need to do something fast. And yeah, that, that's a really high mm -hmm. blood pressure. And that's, I mean, if, you know, we look at really high blood pressures and it's uncomfortable. If a patient has a blood pressure of, you know, one fifties over nineties, we're just sitting on them. Mm -hmm. We're just sitting there. We ain't doing nothing. I mean, not in all cases, but sometimes right. you know, I'm it's anyway, it's all appropriately managed, but it's right. just, you just, again, have to just kind of be, it's a little uncomfortable, the, especially in the, um, in the labor world, yeah. because we know that there is um, sometimes an increase in blood pressure with pain stimuli. Right. And if you think about the birthing process in general, yeah. that can elicit um, an increase in blood yeah. pressure, yeah. you know? So it's something um, you have to, take into consideration yeah. when you start your birthing process yeah. um, with elevated blood pressures. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So if you are having a hypertensive crisis though, we're, we're not going to just take the by mouth pills. Now we have yeah. upgraded you to IV because that works pretty yeah. quickly. Um, ACOG also recommends that methyl dopa, you know, is a first line yeah. agent, but we just don't use that well, in so our hospital anyway. Yeah. So methyl dopa is cheaper. Oh, um, okay. and it's an older drug. Okay. Um, and so it's more readily available in, um, other locations that doesn't, okay. that don't have access to like super. Oh, 
Okay. To yeah. like labetalol mm -hmm. or something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We use labetalol a lot. Um, anyway, it's the first line. So if the labetalol is not working, then we're going to go to the hydrolysis. Um, and hopefully those all work. You know, if those don't work, that's a bummer. <laughs> I mean, then we're thinking it like outside the box. Like, what's going to be most the most or... of the time are enough of the drugs enough of them or a combination yeah. of the medications yeah, is going to work yeah. to get you into it. So our goal is to have a safe blood pressure. So we don't have a stroke. So you don't have a seizure yeah. or a stroke, but also to provide a safe environment for birthing mm -hmm. this tiny human, right. which um, generally we would love to have be vaginal, right. but in that scenario, it, it might be a cesarean situation. Just yeah. depends, Whatever's you know? Super, really. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so when it is determined that this patient is sick enough that they need additional treatment, mm -hmm. then we're going to do some magnesium sulfate. Yep. And this is basically the gold standard. This has been used for well over 100 years, like we talked about in the mm -hmm. last episode. It works beautifully. It, it really does. But it makes you feel like it crap. It makes you feel like crap, yeah. And it's really, there's been so many studies done and it's just really safe to use if you're using it appropriately mm -hmm. and it works. It really does mm -hmm. prevent the seizures. So um, usually it's going to be started with a critical blood pressure with some features generally. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll get it if it started during late or during in the uh, antepartum period, um, then you'll continue, it'll, you'll have it continuously through your labor and through your delivery and generally for 24 hours postpartum. I've seen this be as low as 12 or yeah. even up to 48, just depending on how, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on. Um, anyway, it works by kind of creating this higher threshold for seizures and, um, yeah, it's just superior anti-convulsive compared mm -hmm. to other anti-convulsives. It's just really great. Um, it's monitored super carefully. Mm -hmm. Like we are very careful about it. It's a, um, a high alert drug. Mm -hmm. Like when we hang it, every time we hang it or we change any settings, we have two nurses there because you don't want to give too much. Yeah. Um, Cause then things can happen. You can get this toxicity. So there is a risk of tox toxicity and we always have the antidote readily available, which is calcium gluconate. Oh, man, I and thought you were going to quiz me and I was ready. Oh, I just assumed. Oh, I already knew you knew that. Have you ever seen magtussity? No. I saw it in my first year as a nurse. You did. Why did everything happen to me when I was a baby nurse? That's what happened to me too. Everything happens. Everything to me happens when you're year. like, I have I no idea how to do my job. And you're like, let's get the sickest people ever. Right. Um, but she was like, her legs and her hands started constricting. Oh my gosh, are you serious? And I I looked and I was like, oh my goodness, you are so sick. And it was easily fixed with the calcium, yeah, gluconate. With the calcium gluconate. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, but some, some symptoms other than what you just described, there can be nausea, diarrhea, or vomiting. Mm -hmm. When you just, in general, when you start the magnesium, you give this bolus dose. You get a huge you, hot flush. Yeah, you get hot, you get flush. There's red, like we have fans and things to cool you down. You just kind of have this general feeling of just not feeling your best. Right. You know? And um, some symptoms of toxicity are nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, like you said, um, large drops in blood pressure, um, slower, irregular heart rate, breathing problems, mm -hmm. um, deficiencies in like other um, minerals such as calcium, mm -hmm. um, confusion or fogginess. I think the fogginess is kind of a normal kind of symptom, but severe fogginess mm -hmm. and confusion, coma, heart attack, or kidney damage. So those are all symptoms of toxicity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a baby, magnesium, uh, like a baby who's being, who's born, right? So mm -hmm. mom's on magnesium. We're always anticipating maybe mm -hmm. some resuscitative measures. We're ready for it if we need it. We don't always need it, but um, sometimes these babies just come out with like low muscle tone, low respiratory effort. They just need like a little... They need a little help. A little help. Just a little breathing help Just generally. Little, yeah. Like, give me some oxygen. Yeah. Help. I need somebody. <laughs> but in a different way than exactly. the help we were talking about earlier. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Quite difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, the like uh, the toxicity is treated with the antidote, the calcium gluconate. Um, breathing support in case they stop breathing. Yeah. You know, fluids, dialysis if it's really severe for their <clears> kidneys. 
Um, the risk of toxicity. For the baby? Hold on. What? No, no, no for the mom. Sorry. I, like, I just, no, I went back to mom. Sorry. Okay. No. I was like, hold on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're no, getting sorry, right. What? Okay. Woo. No, no, no. No, the baby should be okay in general. Like if, if the, um, there can be some other bone density issues in the baby. If the mom is on magnesium for kind of an extended period of time, that then can put the baby at greater risk for injuries, such as like bone, bone fractures. Okay. Even death later on. But um, anyway, that was just a little blurb. I was actually going to pass over that, but then. Oh, I know. And then I just started talking about the mom. That would be really rare. I wouldn't imagine. Rare. Yeah. I, mean, that, it, I couldn't even really find a whole lot more on that. So I don't, I don't really hard. feel like um, when somebody's on magnesium that not for that. we allow uh, and I say allow loosely, right? Mm -hmm. But that we, you know, watch a laborious pattern for longer than, mm -hmm. you know, 24 hours. Yeah. So your length of magnesium is pretty low. It's, yeah, it's not going um, to generally be for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Oh yeah. So the risk of toxicity is pretty low if you're dosed appropriately and have normal kidney function. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is most of it. Okay. So now you're wondering, I've had preeclampsia, right? You just talked about all of these risks. Like now I'm greater risk for having preeclampsia later, yeah. all of those things. And so you have to decide, should I have another baby? So we had somebody, Erica, she asked us, she sent in a question. So thanks, Erica, for sending in a question. Yes. I'm just going to read her question. And we okay. answered part of it, but then we're going to get, I just want to give her some credit. Yeah. So hello, I heard that you were planning an episode about preeclampsia eclampsia, and I'm very curious about the risk in subsequent pregnancies. Yes. So we covered that. So I hope that we answered those questions, Erica. Um, and then additionally, she wrote, where does a mama go to find out as much as she can to help decide if she can responsibly have another pregnancy after preeclampsia. What a good question. I know it really is. It's right? really forward thinking. Yeah. Like, is it safe for me yeah. and my future offspring yeah. to actually even consider pregnancy again? Right. Yeah. And that is kind of a big thing. It is. So, you know, ultimately it's like your personal choice. Yeah. Right. And it, I think a lot of it's going to kind of depend on um, how severe or how, you know, um, maybe how more at risk you are just looking at your personal risk factors. Mm -hmm. Um, cause everyone's are going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, like I know somebody who had, um, she had preeclampsia in like all of her pregnancies mm -hmm. and she ended up, you know, having three babies, but she had to make a really conscious decision that it was worth the risk for her. Cause she gets very, very sick with each of her babies and she has to be induced early and she's on mag. And, um, anyway, but it was worth, you know, when she talked, looked at all of her personal risk factors and everything she they decided that that was the best thing for them um and so if you're gonna go ahead and just decide to do it um or not the first thing you should do is just find a provider who you can trust i mean that's mm -hmm. like the most important thing mm -hmm. i think um you know a trusting provider um who's honest but isn't gonna cause fear necessarily yeah. right but is gonna give you honest information to make mm -hmm. an informed decision and who's going to utilize the most up-to-date practices and recommendations. How do you get the best informed decision? One of the things that I learned about getting a, tr like truly making an informed decision. Um, I learned from teaching my evidence-based birth childbirth yeah. class through evidence-based birth. Um, and they call it brand. And it's, I mean, it's a widely used acronym, but um, it's, um, what are my benefits? What are the benefits? Mm -hmm. What are the risks? Okay. Um, what are the alternatives? Yeah. What if I do nothing? Uh -huh. And how long do I have to decide? Uh -huh. And so if you can get those answers, mm -hmm. you can actually make a true informed decision and you can know that you've been truly informed yeah. completely about any decision yeah. medically or otherwise. Yeah. So I just remember that brand. Yeah, I really like those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really great. Um, yeah. And when you're looking for a provider too, you want one who's also going to consider your mental health and emotional needs. Yeah. Cause you know, say you had a traumatic experience before you want somebody who's going to take that into account when they're caring for you. Yeah. Or even, you know, there's can be a lot of anxiety that comes with yeah. pregnancy in general, even mm -hmm. if you have a healthy pregnancy. Yep. So, um, you know, be informed, going to being informed and empowered through knowledge Yep. and doing your own research through trusted 
ways. I right. wouldn't recommend going to somebody's personal blog and using that as, their, <laughs> as your yeah. evidence for, you know, how right. you're going to make decisions and stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of different um, good places that you can get information that are credible and um, informative. Um, generally, you can find ACOG yeah. articles um, yeah. that are not behind a paywall. Right. Um, you know, Mayo Clinic is a good, yeah. generally, mm -hmm. um, place to go for resources. Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic's really um, good, yeah. The National Health Institute. Yep. Um, there's just so many. World Health Organization. Yeah. Like, there's so many places that you can go and get truly good evidence-based yes. um, information. Evidence-based birth. Yeah. Um, they have great articles and they usually summarize yeah. all of the research that's out there, which is really great. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say, too, is make sure that it's like on your comprehension level. Right. Right. Like I was digging into that other article last episode I talked about. And even for me, it was too much. Yeah. Like I could only just pick out some pieces. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I, I do think that evidence-based birth um, does a really good job at looking at the big picture. And yeah. I'm sure there's a lot out there. That's just one I know yeah. um, that looks at everything as a whole and can, can kind of like put it into layman's terms, but also give you information that you know that you can trust. Right. You know, because yeah. yeah. that's, I think something too, people are like, well, how am I supposed to, you know, what can I trust? Who can I trust? And yeah. all of those sources that you just mentioned, those are all trustworthy yeah. places to go. Um, you know, you're always entitled to a second opinion too. Oh, absolutely. Right? So if somebody tells you, maybe they've told you that you shouldn't get pregnant again. Mm -hmm. Like go talk to somebody else and see what they mm -hmm. have to say, given your clinical picture and your history and yeah. stuff like that. Cause it may not be the same. And, mm -hmm. um, and you always, always have the right to get a second opinion. And your provider should not be, um, mad about your desire yes. for a second opinion. Right. And if they are, and maybe you just need to find a new one. Anyway. You need to get a second opinion. Yeah. And I think, it, <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I want a hundred percent people to, to go and get second opinions because we are all human. Right. And none of us are perfect. Right. And so it's great to have confirmation, not only for yourself when you're making big decisions, but also um, to, to find faults in people. And that's okay. Yeah. Like it's not uh, malicious generally. Right. If, um, and sometimes it's very opinion based, your yeah. recommendation. And so then you have to take into account, like, what are yeah. my risks? Yeah. What are my benefits? Right. Um, and what, it, what does this potentially look for me, look like for me in my situation? Right. Yeah. And then make a decision right. because sometimes there's not a right or wrong. Right. And that's a lot of times there's not a right or wrong. And that's tricky because we live in a world of gray, like yeah. black and white is not a thing right. um, in terms of like, yes or no. Right. It's more like uh, maybe, right. maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. <laughs> I don't know. And um, you only know because hindsight will tell you whether it was good or not, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So, um, again, just understanding your own personal risk factors, you know, yep. obesity, diabetes, chronic hypertension, the severity of pre mm -hmm. previous pregnancy. So all of those things. Additionally, low dose aspirin yeah. is recommended. So if you have had preeclampsia previously, you are likely going to be prescribed low dose aspirin, 81 milligrams. Um, I, I think it's, you'll tell me, I didn't write it down for, around the 12th week. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so around the 12th. Or we week. want it to be started by then, generally speaking. Okay. I think the, the time frame and the dosage is still medically, okay. um, like, wiffle-waffling, okay. if you will, because it's newer. It is a it's newer, newer recommendation. Yeah. And so there are studies that are coming out, but it's not um, it's not fully developed yet as, right. in terms of, like, what we know to be very helpful. Um, but one thing I would say about aspirin is that it's not harmful. Right. So um, when in doubt... Just try it out. No, I'm trying. When in doubt, try it. That does not work for everything. Okay, so no medically, we're talking about aspirin, the 81 milligram 80. aspirin. <laughs> Very good. Shoot. No bad information here. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, because there is a little bit of research that maybe uh, you know elevated BMI mm -hmm. could be a, a risk factor. Then you know, get healthy, reduce your BMI. And yeah, that could potentially, um, you know, help you out. And then trying to find ways to just manage and minimize your anxiety. You know, we just 
kind of live in this anxious world and some of us are a little more anxious than others. Some of us will spend lots of time crying in Christina's office when we're pregnant um, <laughs> because we have high blood pressure, you know? And so um, <laughs> just tapping into your, and I know I'm not the only one who did that because my friend told me she did it too. Um, anyway, <laughs> trying to find, uh, or yeah, tapping into your support system, mm -hmm. get counseling, you know, there's medication yeah. to manage, safe medications to manage yeah. these things in pregnancy. And so, um, you know, just making sure that you're utilizing all the people who who care about you. Yeah. You. Yeah. And then if you decide it's not for you, all, all hope is not lost yeah. and you are not alone. Yeah. You know, there's, um, according to the preeclampsia registry, um, 28, um, percent of the 424 preeclampsia survivors who responded to a recent survey indicated that they decided not to have another pregnancy. Yeah. You know, when they're evaluating that, that's a big percentage of people yeah. who've decided, you know what? I'm it's not over a quarter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then 9% were considering or already pursued adoption. Oh, um, cause adoption is yeah. another way to Wait, Yeah. And then 5% were considering or already pursuing surrogacy. And then, um, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh huh. So there's like other ways. Yeah. You know? And then of those who decided to get pregnant again, 41 of those um, stated in the survey that they will seek or already sought preconception counseling by a high risk specialist. 41% or 41 women? 41% of the 420, or four, 400. Okay. So hold on. <laughs> Sorry. So of the 424 <laughs> yes. survivors, of those who decided to get pregnant again, so it would be yep. 72%. Yes. Sorry, yeah. I had to do my math. Yeah, backwards. 72% of those, 41% of the 72%. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, will seek or already sought preconception counseling by her specialist. Okay. So a big chunk. Which is great because is great. I feel like people need more preconception counseling yeah. for many reasons. Yeah. Um, well, knowledge is power. power. Like a lot knowledge. of times. It, a lot of times it is, or at least it can be just basic scary. knowledge yeah. is <laughs> yeah. great. Um, and so that's great to hear. Yeah. And I think that's smart. Yeah. Um, just to go and talk about your risks, yeah. what you should do in right. advance, what, what you could yeah. do to help support a healthy pregnancy. Yeah. And we would love to see you for a preconception visit. Yeah. Anyone would. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No. Well, that's it. Wow. That's pretty cool. You yeah. know what? Part two was great. Part one was excellent. I hope that I, there, you know, there's some good information out there for those of I you think it's who great. wanted to learn more about preeclampsia or have suffered from it and can't remember about it because you had placenta brain or yeah. trying to decide if you're going to move forward with another pregnancy after. Or if you so, had preeclampsia and you yeah. have a story, oh, send yeah. it in. Oh, we would love to hear um, it. Yeah. yeah, we want to we hear it. We want to share it because yeah. it might seem like, meh, it was fine. It was nothing special, but for other people, yeah. um, it, it could help them, yeah. um, identify yeah. with a like individual. Exactly. Yeah. We hope you feel enlightened today. You do. Megan, you're awesome. So are you, Christina. Bye. Bye.